Hey guys, welcome and thank you so much for joining me today on Free Thinking with Montel. And joining me is an old friend of mine, Mr. Paul Rykoff. Paul is an Army vet who saw combat in Iraq. When he got home, he saw the need to better serve a new generation of combat veterans. So he founded IAVA, or Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. IAVA has been accredited with an impressive thought leadership on veterans issues, as well as a raft of legislative accomplishments that have changed the lives of vets for the better. Having uh, turned IAVA over now to its second generation leader, Paul is now the host of Angry Americans podcast, which is sought at. He's a sought after speaker and moderator. I can't thank you enough, sir, for being a part of Free Thinking with Montel today. So thank you for being here. My pleasure, Montel. Congrats on the new podcast. I'm excited to join you. I'm always excited to be involved in anything that you're working on, man. You're an inspiration and a friend and your appearance on my show continues to resonate. And I think we need you now more than ever, man. Whenever you want me back, let me know. I'd love to come back and, and be a part, man, because, you know, just reaching out and trying to get America to get a grip is what we really need to do. You know, a lot of people have seen you. They've seen you on CNN. They've seen you on Fox. They've seen you on news, you know, uh, all over the country, you know, and, and you do such an incredible job. But for those who don't know a lot about your background, why don't you take us back for a second and tell us about, you know, give us give us that synopsis of your military service. When did you enter? Did you enter after high school? You know, where did you serve and what rank did you achieve? Sure. You know, I think for me, Montel, it started with my grandfather because he immigrated here as a teenager uh, illegally, didn't speak the language and ended up serving three years in the South Pacific. My father got drafted in Vietnam and I went to college. I played football. That was kind of my, my ticket to go to college and get an education. And when I got done in 1998, uh, I really felt like I had to give back to my country. So I enlisted. I had a college degree. I went the, the, the hard route. Uh, my father told me not to join the Army and join something easy like the Navy uh, or, or, or the Coast Guard. Uh, and so I joined the Army. He told me, whatever you do, don't join the infantry. And of course, I joined the infantry. Uh, and I was really, you know, a, a peacetime uh, enlisted guy. Was started out as a military police soldier and then went through officer candidate school. Got my commission in uh, the summer, I think June of 2001. And then 9-11 happened a couple of months later. My first uh, activation was at Ground Zero on 9-11 in the New York Army National Guard. So I was there for a couple of weeks, volunteered for Afghanistan, didn't get called, went to Germany, did some training, and then was a part of really the first year in Iraq. Uh, was, a, was an infantry platoon leader uh, during the invasion phase, then kind of the initial chaos, then the, the, what I think was kind of a bit of a, of a lull and then the emergence and then the explosion of the insurgency. So I kind of saw five different phases. Uh, and then I got home and uh, stayed in the National Guard for a little while and then went full bore into uh, advocating for veterans. We had one of my squad leaders was in Walter Reed had lost both his legs. We had the first suicide in our unit and things were not going well. And I felt like I had uh, really to raise my voice. I didn't set out to start a veterans group. I had been a football coach. I worked in finance. I had no background doing advocacy or media. And I think the first interview I ever did was a live interview on CNN with Paul Azan. You know, take us in the way, way back machine. And then things kind of blew up and I had to get out of the army because I was criticizing then President Bush. I was talking about policy. I was doing stuff back then, Montel, that people thought might violate the Hatch Act. Those were innocent times when we thought being in the National Guard and speaking up was violating the Hatch Act. Now you got the president 
doing political rallies from, from the Rose Garden and, and the White House. So times have changed, but that was my trajectory. I'm proud to have served, did my part, and it really helped shape my understanding of, of everything, policy, fatherhood, uh, friendship, you know, everything was really guided by those times in the military. I'm so incredible that we share the, the Mustang route of getting a commission. I, I really appreciate that. A lot of people don't know, you know, I was prior enlisted also, and then went to the academy and got my commission. So, and that's, that's, that's not to say that we are any better than anyone else, but there's an understanding that we get from actually having been in the enlisted ranks and then also in the officer corps. So thank you so much for your service, sir. And thank you. for yeah, You know, it, my, my, my father was enlisted. My grandfather was enlisted. A lot of my family was enlisted during world war II. And when I describe it to civilians, it's kind of like union and management. My dad was also in the union at a utilities company for 40 years or so, and then crossed over into management. I felt like it helped me understand what it was like to be a trigger puller, what it was like to be a door kicker. I went through basic training just like everybody else. And I think that set me up to be a better leader. And I think, frankly, it's what's lacking now. You know, Trump's never served in the military, yet he leads us into combat. Betsy DeVos leads the education department. She's never been a teacher. You know, these are the disconnects that I think are really profound in times like this when things are going sideways and we're living in mayhem and chaos every day. So it grounded me and I think it probably grounded you, too. Absolutely. You know, when you when you make a comment like that about, you know, the president and the secretary of education, it makes me think about, you know, when I entered the service and I entered the service on a delayed entry program, I literally signed a paper in 19 at the end of 1973, right before 1974. So I still fell into the Vietnam vet era soldier. So I wore the national defense for being a part of the Vietnam era. And I remember when I enlisted, I remember looking and thinking to myself, well, geez, you know, we had about 79, almost 80% of our Congress, both Senate and Congress, had served in the military in a life. And now when you look at the ranks of Senate and Congress, it is less than 17%, which is really disgusting how we have people who have never served, never put on a uniform, are so willing to send our soldiers, sailors, and airmen, and, and Coast Guardmen, and people off to die. Yeah. And no one questions that, which really just blows my mind. You know yeah. I mean? and if you think about it too, Montel, there's another factor. You know, right now we've got the four candidates for president and vice president, none of whom have ever worn the uniform. Right. That, that, that is unusual, too. Now, Pence is, is a military uh, father and Biden is a military father. So they have that connection. They've sent their kids to war. I think Pence has got a couple of kids that are in the Marine Corps now. But it's been a long time. You know, we had John McCain, we had John Kerry going back to JFK and Eisenhower, all the way back to George Washington. You know, that military service helped shape their understanding as commander in chief. So I think it is an important thing to note that right now, all four of them, you know, they've never served in uniform. So they got to surround themselves with people who really know their stuff so that they can be prepared for whatever might happen. And, and surround themselves with people who understand the role of the military, uh, the constitutional role of the military. And, and not believe that they have a military that are private, you know, little little toy soldiers that they get to play with on their own because they're theirs. You know what I mean? Well, we'll talk about that here during our discussion. Let's lead off a little bit with the, you know, I know it, it's like the elephant in the room, man. It's been the chaos of the last seven days, which has been the chaos of the last seven months, which has been the chaos of the last four and a half years. I mean, four years. It, it's really insane, man. What do, you, what do you think about, let's just start with, you know, the vigilante who shot people in the streets of Kenosha, uh, two of which have died. The other one is suffering, you know, tremendous wounds from, you know, the caliber weapon that he shot him with. He basically blew this guy's arm up. And then, you know, yesterday, another shooting uh, on the streets in, in, in Portland. I mean, what, what do you think about this? 
I call Trump President Mayhem. I've called him that on my show for over a year now because I think it really encapsulates his command climate, the kind of leader he is. He is President Mayhem. Everything he touches, everything he does becomes more chaotic, becomes more fragmented, becomes hotter instead of cooler. And part of why I shifted from my role as an advocate for veterans into the media is because I saw that as an existential threat to our country, to our future, to the world. I thought that Trump was potentially the most destabilizing force in our generation. I wish I was wrong, but it turns out I was right. And that's why I went into the media, because I'm an independent. You know that. We've talked about that. I felt like it was important for independents to speak up. And the media was my landscape to push forward ideas, to challenge authorities, to raise the voices of other people who are voiceless. And I think a lot of that has to do with challenging him specifically on his leadership, on his character, on his lack of integrity. This is all the things that are wrong with him as a leader coming home to roost. And it's some of its long tail. Some of it happened when he first got elected. But this is this is what we got with this guy. And every day he confronts a problem. He makes it worse. Uh, Every day he engages with a situation. It it seems to spiral further downward. He encourages violence. He's a racist. He's a divider. Uh, He's bad for our national security. And every day this guy is president. We are weaker. A hashtag I use all the time is our enemies are celebrating. I think every day we're shooting ourselves in the streets in Kenosha or in Portland, the Russians are celebrating. Kim Jong-un loves this shit. He wants to see us ripped apart as a nation. And I think that the way Trump has led this country is doing more damage now and into the future than than Al-Qaeda ever could have hoped for. Like bin Laden couldn't have hoped for the shit that's happening now in this country. And it's because of this president. So I think, you know, we can't wait until January if they can drop articles of impeachment every day, they should. Because if you think it can't get worse, think about how it was a month ago. Or remember, he's got his finger on the newts. I mean, it can get much worse than this before January when, let's say, Biden is elected. Let's say that there's an inauguration on January 20th of next year. A lot can happen between now and then. So in my view, we've got to stop him. We've got to isolate him. We've got to remove his power. And we've got to contain him as best we can until we can remove him, replace him, and start to rebuild. I mean, there's been multiple individual leaders from around the world who said that you never have to invade America to destroy America. America would destroy itself from within. And that's exactly what we're doing right now. I mean, when you, when you take a look at just just the, the I, I, I'm blown away. I get up in the morning and I'm, I'm hesitant to turn on the news. I don't want to see the news anymore because every day I'm, I, I start my day off with something disgusting that sets my mood for the rest of the day. But now here he is talking about, even though we've got a governor and a mayor of one city saying, don't come, he's going to go insert himself. And for what? Now, you know, let's go back, you know, about three and a half years ago, I remember seeing you on several different news outlets and people would push back on comments like the ones that you're making right now. What do you feel about the fact that now, when you see some of these commentators, they literally look like deer caught in headlights when somebody like you makes a statement that you just made. I think most of them are full of shit anyway, Montel. I mean, you, you and I have been in this game for a while now. I've been doing it for 15 years. 
I think there are a lot of people on TV who don't really understand the situation, who don't have relevant experience, who don't do their homework and get prepared for the conversations that we're having. And, and they have a lot of influence too. So I think that they are accountable as leaders for the environment they create, for whether or not they create peace or they perpetuate violence. And look, man, I, you know, we could see this coming. You could see it. I could see it. We hoped it wouldn't happen. But in the military, you plan for what we call the most dangerous course of action, the worst case scenario. And this is not quite the worst case scenario with Trump, but it's pretty bad on, on the overall spectrum. And, and I think consistently we hope that he would moderate himself. We hope that Congress would keep him in check. We hope that the military would stand up and Mattis would hold him in check. And, and he continues to slam those guardrails and blow right through them. So I think this is the most important time of our lifetime. This is a time for real patriots to step forward. And it's a time for us to recognize that this can get worse to the point where we've got, you know, if, if, if you could take a step back and think about when would you imagine convoys of people flying flags invading an American city? That's what's happening right now in places like Portland, right? They're flying. I was blown away. I was blown away when I was looking at those, some of those trucks and the guys in the back and some of them had on T-shirts that read Marines for Trump. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. truth. You know, yeah. and I'm thinking to myself, well, these are veterans who don't even understand that you are being used by a guy who literally took three deferments whining like a baby that he couldn't serve because he had bone spurs. Right, right, right. Yet at the same time, he writes a book talking about how tough a guy he was because he was so happy that he was able to go and, and, and beat up old ladies who owed his father money yeah. in some of the, the slum tenements that he had. Yeah, I mean, one of the most insidious, most damaging things he's done is manipulate and co-op patriotism. There's the old saying that when fascism comes to America, it'll come wrapped in the American flag and carrying the cross. If you saw the RNC, it was wrapped in the American flag and it was carrying the cross. Trump claims to own the flag. He claims to own patriotism. He claims to own religion. And those are things that, that good Americans, responsible Americans of all backgrounds have to rip back from him. We have to pull back the mantle of patriotism. If you look at those convoys, for example, right? They're flying American flags that are manipulated. They put the blue line in them. And I know people say that that's in support of cops and firefighters. When you and I were in the Navy, there was no situation where we could play with the flag and change the colors and fly it. Okay. Right. You know, even if you want to say you're representing the military, you're not representing the values that we stood up for. So this is a time for peace. It's a time for wisdom. It's a time for insight, but it's also a time for real patriotism, patriotism that means tolerance and means peace and doesn't encourage violence and doesn't encourage racism. And I think that Biden actually had an opportunity and I think he succeeded in some ways with Kamala Harris in reclaiming the patriotism uh, that they've lost. For a long time, the Republicans have been branded the party of the military, the party of patriotism. The Democrats had to grab that back. And I think they did in part do that. They're shaping a new patriotism, you know, redefining what it means to be American. And I think that's the key to the future. If they can't redefine what it means to be American, then we're, we're screwed, Montel. We're going to rip each other in, in, in half and our enemies are going to continue to celebrate. So I think it starts with electing Biden. He is, you know, we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. He's not perfect, but he's good. He's a good person. He has some integrity. And he's our Jon Snow. If you like Game of Thrones, he's the one that we got. And we got to rally around him with all the tribes and beat the White Walkers, which are Trump and his minions, so that we have a chance in the future. And so I think it's time to stop quibbling. It's time to be united and it's time to buckle down. This is the fourth quarter. Between now and Election Day is the fourth quarter. And we got to prepare for what will probably be overtime because he's going to contest the election. There will be violence after that. Everybody's got to strap in and get ready for a long fight. But understand the fight's worth it. 
and, and our country's been through tough times before, we can get through this if we're united, if we have good leadership, and if we keep our eyes on the prize in the future. Like people like John Lewis and so many others have reminded us during tough times, we got to remember that there is a brighter future and it's worth it, but it's going to take a lot of work. It's really incredible. You know, I mean, again, I listen to you and, I, and I'm thinking, you know, as of yesterday, I was so disheartened by, you know, listening to some of the rhetoric just espoused by even those who claim to want to try to bring America together. They never can articulate this this way. And yet you put it together in less than a minute and, and really express what is really the true mission of all should be for all of us. And when you say, you know, you're looking at Biden and, and uh, Harris, I mean, at least Harris was a prosecutor. And we want to talk about somebody who's a law and order person. Her record stands for itself. She has always been against, you know, petty crime and always been for justice for those who have been abused by someone in our society. Yet we allow the media to spin that in a weird way. And in Democrats, I just don't know why they can't get out of their own way. I mean, they allow Trump to continuously claim that he was the one who passed the legislation to allow veterans to seek help outside of the veteran, you know, uh, organization. And that's not true. We know there are facts that they just won't step up to the plate and promote. Why do you think, why are they so, I I just do not, I I listen sometimes to what Democrats have to say and I go, you don't have to go low. All you have to do is start telling the truth with some adamance in your voice. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I don't know if it was Mark Twain who said, I'm not a member of an organized party, I'm a Democrat. Right. I mean, you know, Democrats always eat their own. It's kind of their structure by nature. And it's part of the reason why I'm an independent, because I I want options beyond the Republicans and Democrats. But there's also a reality here. We can't I'm not even interested on some levels in having a discussion about the qualifications of Kamala Harris and Biden, because the alternative is is devastation. Right. It's like saying, okay, you know what? I really wish this hamburger had a higher protein count or it was a little tastier or the cheese was better. And your alternative is poison. Okay, like it's it's not a choice between two hamburgers and one that's Kobe beef and one that's not. It's a choice between a a McDonald's burger and arsenic. Okay, like that is our choice here. So we got to stop, you know, microanalyzing Biden and Kamala Harris and get down to strategy. That's why I think Harris was actually a good pick, because the key to Biden winning is turnout. Right. And, And picking Harris. Uh, does motivate the base. It brings in women. It brings in more people of color. color. It motivates the black vote. These are the things that he's going to need to do to win. Every every Kamala Harris convert or person who shows up is one in Biden's corner. So they got to start doing the scorecard and they got to win this thing. Everything else is secondary. So I'm not even interested, frankly, on some levels. They're the they're the horses we've got. We got to ride them at this point. And remember that the alternative is probably the end of our country. Right. Our national security will be compromised. We'll have race wars in the streets. And you don't have to imagine it because it's happening right now. The Russians are celebrating. What people right. don't realize is the Russians actually attacked U.S. forces in Syria last week. Four Americans were injured when a, when a Russian uh, vehicle slammed into an American convoy in Syria. They are testing us in the air. They, a submarine popped up in Alaska. The Russians are testing us right now and they're attacking our election. So in my view, we are already at war with the Russians and we need to buckle down and get focused on the the imminent threats and the enemies that are happy to see the situation that's unfolding in Kenosha, in Portland and in D.C. Absolutely. You know, now let me just stick into the theme of the last seven days. You know, on Friday, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, who had wore his 
you know, camouflage uniform stood alongside of Trump while he stood outside of a church holding a Bible upside down right. and something that he claimed was, you know, representative of his faith. And now we just hear from his own sister that he has no faith and never had any faith. So, but General Milley makes this comment about the fact that he's going to ensure that the military stays neutral and the military is not going to play any role whatsoever in the election, but then they shouldn't play any role in the election other than to have their own individual vote. But there will be, and like you just said, if Trump decides to not vacate the White House, you know, it's not the Secret Service who will end up having to go in and pull him out. I mean, it's going to end up turning into an armed confrontation, I believe, of some sort that either the National Guard or someone wearing a uniform is going to have to say, Tom, for your butt to go. <laughs> yeah, now, I mean, we, we call my show Angry Americans because we started a year and a half ago, and I said, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention, right? And I think you have to pay attention to what's happening. You have to stay vigilant. And the question is, how do you turn that righteous anger into positive impact, right? Whether it was the civil rights movement or the gay rights movement or the founders, right? How do you turn your, your righteous, understandable anger into positive impact? And that's what's facing every one of us as individuals, but also the leadership in this country. And I think we got, we got, to, we got to break something down here. I think General Milley is a failure, okay? People don't want to say this. He compromised himself, okay? The margin of error when you are the chairman of the Joint Chiefs is zero. If you, zero. If you compromise your integrity, if you allow yourself to be politicized, he wouldn't accept it with anybody else. So I think if he really was was upholding the true level of integrity that we require in a time of war, he should have recognized, and he did apologize, but he didn't resign. And I think he's compromised, he should resign. I think the Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, is a complete sham. I think he's horrible. He has continued to side with Trump instead of our troops. He's a former Raytheon executive who would not recuse himself from Raytheon business when asked during his confirmation hearings. Only nine senators voted against him, but consistently Mark Esper allows Trump to, for example, take defense money away from the Pentagon to build the wall. He allows Trump to abandon uh, our Kurdish allies. He allows Trump to pull them in front of a church and politicize the entire military and send the National Guard in against peaceful protesters. So Millie's got to go. Esper's got to go. They all got to go. Because if you have worked alongside this president, in my view, you are complicit. Mattis left because he couldn't take it anymore. Plenty of other people have left, and now they need to be a part of the resistance that peacefully removes him from office. And if necessary, I think remove him in handcuffs. I mean, I think we have to show the world that there is accountability. And I think we will only show the world that there is accountability in America when Trump is in handcuffs. And I think he's violated enough laws at this point that we can make the case, but we need to have a trial for Donald Trump in the same way the Iraqis had a trial for, for Saddam Hussein, the way we had trials in Nuremberg. Like the damage that he has done to this country and to the world must be held accountable, a fair trial, an open trial. But the day he leaves office, I hope they start the trial and they start the examination that will be necessary to hold him accountable. Otherwise, the, the world's going to laugh at us. The world. But, 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 but how can we hold a trial when we have Republicans in the Senate who are just as complicit as he is? Hey, hey Montel, you, you know what I'm going to say. Put them on trial, too. Right. I mean, we didn't sit around after, and, and I, they're not the Nazis. OK, this is not fascism in, in the way we know in the past. But what they have done needs to be held accountable. We've got, what, 10 Trump allies now that have been indicted or put in jail at this point. So there is a trail of accountability. We need to extend that all the way through. For example, the Russian bounties. 
If if Secretary of Defense let's explain that real quick. I'm gonna let you do it, but go okay. ahead. Make sure everybody understands. This fool claims to be the commander in chief and will and knows by fact this was information that was given to him over a year ago. Yeah. That the Russians had put bounties on the heads of U.S. soldiers, the same soldiers that are sitting in the back of those pickup trucks shooting paintballs at people, spraying bear spray on people, claiming that I'm a Marine for Trump, knows that Trump literally allowed the Russians to pay Taliban to kill a brother soldier. Stop, I, 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 right there alone, that seems to be the reason why you could walk right in the White House and put handcuffs on him and walk him right to jail. Well, you you laid out, you know, the, the scenario, right? And, and here's the way I would boil it down. If Esper, the Secretary of Defense, knew this was happening and did nothing, he's responsible. If he didn't know, he's responsible because the briefings are now well documented. Same with the president. If he says he didn't know, then he's at fault. If he did know and do nothing, he's at fault because we cannot allow the world to think that you can pay for the lives of American troops because this creates open season on every one of our troops all over the world, not just in places like Afghanistan, but in Africa, in Europe, in Germany, anywhere our people are, if they think that you can get paid and Americans will do nothing about it, which even to this day, what, over two months later, Montel, the president has still not said, I condone this, I don't accept it, there will be repercussions. He has still not said that. And so I think it's a continuing part of his effort to disrupt, dismantle, demoralize the key institutions that are essential to our national defense. Not just the military, but the FBI, the DNI, the CIA, the Justice Department. I'm holding an FBI coffee cup today because I spoke at the FBI a couple of years ago. I have friends in the FBI. Can we imagine a time when the United States president would be consistently attacking the FBI? That's where we are right now, right? He continues to do the work of our enemies for us. We need to call it what it is and, and approach the fact that this is continuing to endanger our national security overseas here in your own backyard every single day. And that's how high the stakes are. You could sit here and go, oh, it's not that important to me. Well, think about how important it can be when our enemies celebrate this kind of weakness and division and exposure. And when he does things like remove a few thousand troops from Germany, right, which is what the Russians want. While you're not looking, while you're paying attention to all the rioting and everything else, Trump pulls close to 10,000 troops out of Germany that are supposed to be there, not just to support the Germans, but to serve as a strategic lily pad if we need them against the Russians or anybody else. So he continues to do things that hurt our national security. And that's not a political opinion. That's a strategic analysis. Look at the numbers. Look at our defense posture. If you were playing a game of risk when you were 16 years old, think about when you move a bunch of your guys away from the bad guys, the bad guys can move closer. It's pretty simple. And that's what's continuing to happen over and over again. And I, I, you know, I wonder, I'm, I'm going to take a little break because i got to pay some bills. Let me do that. But, you know, and maybe you can address this when you come back. I, I'm just, I'm still baffled, you know, I'm a, I'm a ruling, you know what I mean? I went to the Defense Language Institute to study Russian. I fought the bear, you know what I mean? I was up in, you know, I, I did over, I threw over 300 days on submarines under the water in the North Atlantic, you know, out there literally coming side by side with and sometimes underneath some of, you know, the the most formidable Russian uh, submarines and, and, and ships they had. And I think back now, was I just wasting my time when I was in the military? Was I really protecting to now turn it over to some asshole who's willing to just say, here, you take it all? 
what do they have on this dude, man? Is it really, you know, is, is it is it strippers that peed on him? Or is it is it just the fact that he was happy that somebody wanted to kiss his butt? Let's answer that when I come back. Right. I'm going to take a little break, pay some bills. You've been listening to Free Thinking in our depth today. Guest today is Mr. Paul Rykoff, the uh, founder of IAVA and uh, an American treasurer who speaks the truth. We'll take a little break. We'll be back right after this. Welcome to uh, Free Thinking with Montel today. And my guest today is Mr. Paul Reichhoff, who is the founder of IAVA. That's Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. And now is literally out here right now trying to make America stop for a second in its tracks and think about whether or not there's even going to be an America after November 2nd. Paul, thanks for being here with us today, sir. My pleasure. It's always an honor. I'm just a dude in, in his garage, right? I mean, <laughs> that's where we are now is, you know, it's gone back to basics. We got to pick up and fight and, and push forward with whatever we got, right? And that, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what you're trying to do. And I hope that this conversation will motivate other people to get off the sidelines. This is not the time to be on the sidelines. If you've never been involved, you know, the future of your country and the stability of the world hangs in the balance. No big deal. It's just the future of the world. So I hope that people can understand how high the stakes are. De La Soul said stakes is high, right? Stakes has never been higher than right now. You know, I, I, I get in arguments sometimes with a very close friend of mine. You know, my, my publicist is uh, John Franks, and he and I literally will argue back and forth sometimes. Just, you know, and, and I, I have never in my life been, you know, the glasses half empty guy. I'm always been, I've always been the glasses half full guy. But I got to tell you something, in recent weeks, it's hard for me to see that glass half full. I, you know, and I try my best, you know, I, I love to have conversations with John because I get to like vent and get it all out. You know yeah. what I mean? I say all the negative things I could possibly say, like, you know, uh, like I can't believe that we have so many people in this country who believe and support this butthead. And he reminds me that, you know, the numbers aren't as great as I perceive them to be. But then again, when I hear conversations like, you know, I, am I, I don't know if you know, my wife is Caucasian and, um, she has friends that she's talking to and, you know, friends that are on, you know, uh, Instagram and other stuff with her. And, you know, these are really well-meaning, very, very nice people, people that I've gone to dinner with, people that I've had relationships with. And I'll hear them ask a question of her to ask of me. Montel, what do you think about X, Y, Z? And then I realized that they really literally have an opinion that blows my mind. It's like right now. People saw what happened in Portland two nights ago and believed that this was black people because the president keeps saying that, you know, it's those, you know, Black Lives Matter people when they don't even recognize that Portland has been in a city in unrest for now almost 100 days straight. And the groups that are desperate groups up there, and I'm not, you know, saying this as some sort of a racist statement, but are majority Caucasian. Right. You take a look at the streets. Of Portland, where the battles are going on, these are Caucasians fighting Caucasians. These are kids, rich kids who have come out of part of this Antifa thing that are out here in the streets saying that they want anarchy. And, you know, there are other rich white kids that are on the other side of this coin, yet the president stands in the Rose Garden or stands in the, at the White House and tries to make it appear to be black on white, where we know for a fact, even still till today, Right. The FBI numbers will say unequivocally, you are less likely to be hurt by a black person than a white person. You, Paul, Montel, I'm more likely to be hurt by a black person than a white person. Right. That is a fact. You know, 91%, 92% of crimes against people are 
be, uh, from people that they know. Yet this president has turned this into just a racist powder keg. Yeah. What do yeah. we do to try to make people understand that they're listening to bullshit and not listening to the truth? You know, you, you say glass half full or glass half empty. Here's the deal. The glass is cracked, right? Yes. And, 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 and he's cracking it more by the day. And there's nobody out there who can really objectively say he's making things better. Right. And I don't know if Joe Biden's going to make it better, but he can't, you know, at least he's got a shot. Right. And, and, and that's what I think we need to recognize when it comes to, you know, the conversion of people and the battles to be waged. Look, I mean, you see the chaos in the streets. You see that our enemies are celebrating. You see how many people are dying from COVID. You know, you see that our country is weak. Right. It weakened. Right. You got in places like New York City, you know, a third of the people aren't employed right now. OK, we've got very, very deep problems. So the glass is cracked. And the question is, you know, are we going to sit here and, and try to debate about whether or not it's cracked? Or are we going to fix it? So when I ha I'm, I'm done having conversations with people that need to be converted or want to argue with me, that's not strategically where I want to spend my time or where I think we should spend our time, because that person is, is going to be converted no more than a Bathist after Saddam left power. They have got their mind made up. They have got their, 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 their stake in this game. And where we need to focus our time, just like when I was in Iraq, I didn't go over and say to people who love Saddam, hey, you shouldn't love Saddam. What I did was focus on the kids. I focused on the kids who were teenagers, who were on the fence, who were like, maybe we go with, with Al Qaeda, maybe we go with the Americans. Well, let's work on the next generation. Let's work on the leaders that are up and coming. Let's work on the people that aren't really in the game at all yet, right? Because you know who the diehards are on one side. You know who the diehards are on the other side. We're not going to win this game by beating them. We're going to win this game by growing our side, right? And that, for me, is about getting people off the sidelines, the person who doesn't know how to vote, the person who's never been involved politically, the person who just screams at the TV but doesn't actually get involved in their community, or the young person who's turning 18. Like, focus your time on those people that have an open mind, that are willing to be educated, that want to learn about what's going on, and help them through that journey. I think that's a better thing for America. Anyway, we got to grow the number of people who are involved, who are free-thinking, to use your term, Montel, right? If we have more free-thinking Americans, I think we're going to be better positioned for the future. We got to isolate the fact that there are some people that will never convert, right? And some of them, frankly, it's like, it's like racism. Some of them are just going to have to die. They're going to have to go away. The older generation is going to have to turn over and the new generation is going to take power. That's how evolutions happen. That's how countries evolve. And I think your time is better spent educating a 16-year-old on what patriotism is. A 16-year-old who, who maybe isn't feeling great about the flag right now doesn't understand Montel's history, doesn't understand what, what the military is really all about. Maybe that person is 16 years old and you're a young man of color and you see an American flag and it scares you because Trump is waving it and it's coming into your town in the back of a pickup truck with a dude who's got a paintball gun. Like, I understand that, right? And what we have to do is explain to them that the flag belongs to them too. That's how it was founded. So that's where I think the real uh, pressure point is. I think that's where the value is. I think that's where we should be investing for the future of America. That's what scares me the most when you just said. It's like, you know, we do have, you know, right now still, even though his numbers supposedly have fallen, there's still 31% of the people in this country that will still vote for this clown if he shot somebody in the middle of Times Square. Yeah, you know, there's probably 30% of people who think the world is flat too, right? Correct. Like, it's Correct. Like, it's, and then you put the... You got that 30%. You got 30% who will go against no matter what he does. They will right. hate him until the day he dies. But there's that other 30% that I think, and I, I keep calling out, that I think are sitting on their ass. 
And I got to figure out how do we push them to get up off their butts and say, no, this is not good enough. I, I literally heard a couple of kids, or, you know, I should say kids, but the younger people make a comment about, well, well, what makes America so great anyway? And I, I heard that it didn't jump into the conversation, but I was like, really? So what do you want to be Russian instead? You know, well, you know what? I, get, I think we got to start with understanding where they're coming from. And maybe for a lot of people, it hasn't been great. But here, here's one thing I wanted to raise. It's in your wheelhouse. OK, we, we, we just experienced the DNC and the RNC. And I think the parties fail us in many ways. That's why I'm an independent. That's why I encourage people to be unaffiliated unless they're really dedicated to the principles of a party, which for the most part, they don't even know. But I think the Democrats missed a really good opportunity to motivate turnout, to engage people, to capture young people, and that's marijuana. Cannabis, oh. marijuana, descheduling, legalization. If Joe Biden had stand, stood up and said, vote for me and I will legalize marijuana, those people are off the sidelines. Those people are involved. They care about that one issue in the same way people care about choice or care about guns, right? There's a lot of issues that, that are out there that have been hit before. But I think the Democrats and Biden are still being weak and, and afraid to touch that issue. But I can't think of a single issue that would turn out more young people right now than, than cannabis. And I think the Democrats are being, uh, are being weak and they're afraid to take it on. And that's, that's still a, a, a weapon they have that they should activate as much as possible, as quickly as possible to help them win. I agree with you, but I gotta tell you something, dude, I am so afraid that Uday and Kuse are going to figure out how they can convince their dad to make some money off of this, and then that'll become the Republican mantra. It already is, in a way. Yeah. We take a look at the fact that we let McConnell push through the hemp bill, okay? We let him push that through because he recognized how much value that would be to his state of Kentucky, which is really weird to me. If we take a look at, you know, take, let's go back to 10 years ago. How come all of a sudden, you know, his net worth jumped into the 30 millions and it used to be like around, you know, two or 3 million, which it shouldn't have been that high anyway, but it's in the 30 millions now. And, and take a look at the majority of the Republican Senate. And these are guys who walked into office who didn't seem to have huge personal net wealth. And now all their net wealth seems to be going up. And, you know, what was I, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of the saying that I think Johnson had said, you know, tell the, you know, the poorest white man that, he's better than the best black man and he'll let you take every penny out of his pocket. I'm paraphrasing, but that was basically yeah. what the was. And that seems to be what's going on. Yeah, but here's the opportunity. The poorest white man in America benefits from the legalization of marijuana. Absolutely. And, and, that, and that's the case that needs to be made because now, like I'm in a rural area right now, okay? I'm in an undisclosed location, but I am in a rural area, okay? And this area has been devastated by opioids. It, it, it has serious economic issues. It has been left behind in many ways, okay? And if Joe Biden stood up and said, I will legalize marijuana. It will help with the, with the opioid issue. It will empower veterans who are dealing with many issues. You and I have talked about this. I've been a leading voice on, on cannabis for veterans for medicinal reasons, but also for economic reasons. I think this is an example of a winning issue. If Joe Biden cut an ad and just ran it all the time and said, my name is Joe Biden. I will legalize marijuana. Vote on November 3rd. In Vote. the White House, November 3rd. There, there are a few things that will move more people that you need to move than that. All the fear, all the, you know, the, the sky is falling shit. I think this is still, it's, it amazes me that they haven't pulled it out. And it might be because they still think they're winning.
right? It feels like that thing they're going to activate 30 days out or 15 days out when they're not sure if they've got Trump, right? But this is an entire flank from a strategic standpoint, a policy standpoint, an economic standpoint, a healthcare standpoint that amazes me that they haven't activated yet. And in their absence, I think, you know, activists like me and you have to, because we know that a guy like Biden is going to be open on these issues much more than Trump. That, that is a reality. And we got to hit that hard and, and hopefully get more people involved on that and other issues. I think he'll get he would be more open if, in fact, his running mate were to do what she keeps claiming she does. And that support initiatives around cannabis that we've not been able to get her to actually step up to the plate and do. Yep. But I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. One hundred percent. Now, let's let's go back. And again, this is in the. You know, part of this is from misinformation. I mean, Biden still, his last comments on cannabis are misinformation comments that he's made for the last 20 years, that he still thinks it's a gateway drug. He still thinks that it's bad for you. I, I, I can't believe that no one sat him down and schooled him. I love an opportunity. I've reached out to him, trying my best to see if I can have a conversation. And nobody wants to have a conversation because I think they're just, they're, I think they're a little afraid. They They think that this may come back the wrong way at them, but they don't recognize how many people. And, you know, especially since we've been in this sequestered at home state, we now start to realize that cannabis is being ordered for delivery in homes. Every single state that passed a cannabis, medical cannabis law has made it an essential, you know, uh, product. So all the dispensaries have remained open and people are having that delivered and they're not having, you know, a fifth of vodka delivered. So you're right. They need to catch up a little bit here. Yeah. I mean, look, politicians aren't leaders for the most part. They're followers. They follow the will of the American people. And I've dealt with every president since I got home in 2004. I've been aligned with them and I've been against them. You know, he, you know, somebody like Barack Obama, you know, would eventually get to a position. But oftentimes we had to put pressure on him. The activists had to put pressure on him, coordinating with the media and the grassroots to move people. That's how you get gay marriage through. That's how you get everything through is through the movement and through activists. It's not through politicians. You know, Biden uh, needs to be moved. Right. And, and if, if the drumbeat is consistent and the activists are focused and the policies are clear and the case is made, then he can either lead, follow or get out of the way. Right. right. And I think that that's the imperative right now for us on this and on everything. You know, if he's not moving fast enough, we need to bring some pain through the political process to make them move. But I and do pain is the fact that we've got 36 states in the District of Columbia right now that have passed laws allowing for the use of cannabis. I, come on. That's more than half. I am in I am in, I am in New York state right now. People mm -hmm. are leaving here and driving to Massachusetts and spending a couple hundred dollars and then driving back over to New York. It's happening in states all across the country. There was a what I call the green migration uh, about 10 years ago when a lot of severely wounded vets who, who found pain relief in cannabis moved to places like Oregon, right? We're moving to places where uh, the restrictions were, were, were more open because they just got pain relief. So you see a migration of talent, you see a, a migration of money, you see a migration of, of entrepreneurship. And I think it's really the case where, you know, lead, follower, get out of the way. The states that are there first are going to do better. The countries that are there first are going to do better. And I think it is if we're looking for a glass half full, right, or, or, or a blunt half roll, right, like we yes. have to recognize that this can be a part of the future for America, our economy, uh, even down to our energy independence. You know, all of this can be fueled in part by these kinds of what are now common sense, nonpartisan policy changes.
Absolutely. It's ridiculous that I, that we can't have this discussion at the national DNC level, but I, I, I will push and I'm pushing as hard as I can to make sure that happens real quick. I want to talk to you a little bit about something that's really just, just, I, I can't say piss me off because that's not strong enough, but yeah. I'm so angered by the president's attack on our postal service because we know how many vets rely on the postal service to get their medication, how many vets rely on the postal service to get their VA checks, how many vets rely on the postal service, period, just to survive. What do you think about this, my friend? So this is, again, one of the most damaging, insidious, uh, long-lasting uh, negative impacts of the Trump presidency. He is attacking the post office, okay? This is a guy who attacked, imagine this, the president of the United States attacks Goodyear, Harley Davidson, the NFL, the FBI, the Marine Corps at times, right? He was doing battle with General Mattis. And now he's picked, you know, one of the sacred cows in America, the, the Postal Service. My grandfather spent three years in the South Pacific in World War II, came home and worked at the post office for over 30 years. That's what a generation of patriots did. He worked at the post office. He also ran our voting booth and he was involved in the local community. That's what a generation of patriots did. The Postal Service is not here to make money. Let me make a really important point, okay? You hear Trump say, it's not profitable. You know what else isn't profitable? The Marine Corps or the Air Force or the Department of Defense because that is not their mission. Their mission is to defend the United States from enemies. That is their mission, not to make a bunch of money. And the Postal Service is there as a federal service. It's in the Constitution, established by Ben Franklin. It also employs about 100,000 veterans over 60% of them are disabled, and over a million veterans every day get their prescription medication through the post office. There are 22 million veterans in America total, and they are absolutely reliant, they are absolutely interwoven, and they're absolutely essential to the post office because the post office is essential to America. So when it's and a lot of people, a lot of people don't know, the reason why the post office has not been as financially solvent is not because it costs so much to run the post office. It's because the postal services budget has been gutted and the money has been taken out of the postal service that was uh, supposed to be there and used for other things. So, you know, if we really went back and looked at the last 10 year history of the postal service and see where the money goes that actually is supposed to go through, was it just like what's going supposed to go into the into the military? You know, this president has taken the money out of the military budget and gone off and trying to put some rocks on the border uh, claiming to be a wall, they have taken money out of the Postal Service for all other forms of what they consider essential services that have nothing to do with the post office. Yeah, there's the old saying in the military, the strategy is for amateurs, logistics is for experts. Right. The Postal Service is logistics, right? The Postal Service is a lifeblood to this country, to our economy, to our history. Now, what's happened is a lot of people have hijacked that, right? There are plenty of people who say, hey, post office is cheap and free, so I'm going to push a bunch of stuff through the post office. But the post office hasn't been modernized and supported and well-led to compensate for the changing environment. I mean, this is the Pony Express one day evolved, right? But if right. you look at your local post office, see when the trucks have been updated, see when the last time the people got an increase in staffing was. Look at the age of the people working at the post office. The post office can be modernized. It must be modernized. But in order to do that, it needs to be respected and it needs to be valued. Right now, the president doesn't value the post office. He doesn't care if it succeeds or fails. And in many ways, he's rooting against it. The private interest, including the right, the, the leader of the post office right now, who has controlling interest in competitor 
workers to the post office and contractors. He personally benefits when the post office fails and they have to hire an outside company to pick up that work. So it's just another example of the conflict of interest. It's, it's how Trump is weakening America. An attack on the post office is an attack on America, on our veterans, on our economy, and in some ways really on our national defense. I, you know, when I was in the military, I depended upon the post office. You depended upon the post office. Active duty people still vote thanks to the post office. So Correct. you deny them their most essential right to vote if you attack the post office. So I hope it blows up in his face. I hope people see it for what it is. And I think it is the kind of issue that actually can hurt him. It shows his arrogance. It shows his lack of discipline. When he hits the post office, it's I think it's bad for him. He may not realize it, but I think it's the kind of thing that will hurt him at the polls in November. And that's the kind of thing that the Democrats need to not just, you know, talk about for two days and let go and try to, try to move on to the next issue. They need to stay on this issue. That's part of what I think is part of the problem right now in this particular race is that, you know, they are so quick to try to play catch up to the last tweet rather than stay focused on what will make all the future tweets just seem ridiculous. Strategy is hard, right, Montel? You know that as well as I do, right? Strategy is hard, and it requires discipline, and it requires key leadership, but it's essential. Because if, if you know, right now we got a president who's playing, you know, checkers, and we got Putin playing three-dimensional chess. I mean, the post office is so essential. When we were in the military, we say there's two things you don't mess with, our food and our mail, right? Correct. Even ammunition. Like, if you ask most soldiers, said, hey, food or ammunition, you know what? I can make do a little less ammo, but I need my food. I need my mail, right? You don't mess with those essential things. So I think the, the Democrats are lacking in a strategic vision. Uh, I think they're lacking in clear leadership. Biden is the leader by default. You know, Obama's starting to jump in it times. I think we need more Obama. I think that's good for America. And I think it's good for the future. But we need everybody else involved. I mean, that's the bottom line is you can't sit in the sidelines and wait for Joe Biden to fix everything at your local level, whether it's a pothole or the cannabis reform, you can get involved. And that's how this country was created. And that's really what makes this country great is the local community citizens, the activist citizens. There's an old saying from George Washington, when we assume the soldier, we did not lay aside the citizen. Right. We all need to be active citizens. And that is the only sure key to the future for this country. And let's also make sure we remind people that when George Washington went into uh, his Mason tents, they weren't flinging around lanterns with incense in it. That was lanterns using hemp you know, tobacco. And I, if I remember back then, they weren't testing to see if it was below 0.01 percent THC. It's true. It's true. It's true. People don't want to admit, they don't want to understand that this country was built on cannabis as much as it was built on anything, on hemp. And back then, again, we didn't make a distinction between, you know, 0.01% THC hemp. We had hemp that was growing probably around 1 to 1 to 1.5 to even 3% THC. And people were routinely, you know, again, go back in time. This was a time when, you know, people weren't sleeping on beds, man. You know, it was no air conditioning. There was no heaters. You know, people were drinking, you know, 3.2 beer every day or 3.2 water because they had to process water to kill the bacteria in the water. So they had to have babies were drinking alcoholic beverages back then in this time. So we got to get a grip and understand there's nothing wrong with a little cannabis and there's never been anything wrong with it. Matter of fact, for the last 5,000 years, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, look, Donald Trump is, is, is like a, a drunken, abusive stepfather. 
yeah. okay, came into our house and beat up our mom and wrecked the house and pissed off the neighbors and crashed the car and ate all the food and screwed everything up, right? Peaked, we in, peaked in a bedroom when your younger sister was changing her clothes. We got to get him out of the house, okay? And we got to rebuild. We got to rebuild our house. We got to rebuild our family. We got to rebuild our neighborhood, right? And that starts with common sense stuff like infrastructure. It starts with understanding the importance of things like the post office, but it also starts with basic integrity. And that's why I go back to it. Like you may not like Joe Biden, okay, but he's a good man. And after this kind of devastation, sometimes what you need in that house is a social worker or, or an old man to come down the street and say, you know what? I knew what it was like to be in an abusive house. I know what it's like to lose things. I might not be able to fix everything, but I'm here to tell you I understand. And this entire Trump administration has been a tragedy. It's been a tragedy for America. It's been a tragedy for the world. We need someone who understands tragedy. And Joe Biden understands tragedy. And that's enough for me right now to at least give him the shot to help us put a team together that can rebuild going forward. So it's it's Biden or nothing. You know, I mean, there is no alternative. It's 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 a hamburger you may not like or arsenic. Right. It so definitely it definitely isn't Kanye West. Yeah. It definitely isn't Kanye West. No, no. And, and this that, is what we got, you know, so, you know, leadership is about choices. Right. And, and understanding there are no perfect solutions and taking the best move you can, rolling with it and trying to put everything you can behind it. And that's what we need to do as a country right now. And it's voices like you that are going to be that clarion call to help people understand it. And, and the real work starts. This is one thing I do want to tell everybody. Strap in because there's no easy solutions. It's just like combat. Right. Like November is going to come and it's going to go. January is going to come and going to go. And this is going to be a long slog. So prepare yourself mentally work together, let's get the team right, because we're in for a very, very long slog, but it's gonna be worth it and we can do it. You know, I'm, I'm almost out of time, my friend. So first off, if somebody wants to hear more from Paul Rykoff, where do they go? How do they hear more from you, sir? They we wanna listen to your Angry American podcast or they wanna just hear more about the IAVA, where do they go? Yeah, you can go find me anywhere on social media, but Angry Americans is the podcast. It's a weekly podcast, we're independent. We talk to leaders like Montel who come from all backgrounds who are iconic important and inspiring Americans. I also break down the news and have a focus on national security, defense, veterans issues that may not be on your radar. We've talked to everybody from uh, Ambassador Susan Rice to Ron Perlman to Sarah Jessica Parker to Medal of Honor recipient David Bellabia. I talk to Americans that will inspire you and will educate you and can help us move forward. Uh, we got some other projects coming through as well. I'm the president of a new independent media company called Righteous Media. So we're going to be cooking up some other independent voices that hopefully can bring people together and move us forward. I encourage you to support IABA. You can find them online. They are a nonprofit veterans group doing really, really important work. I got to take a minute to tell people that veterans have been devastated by COVID. We don't even, devastated. Know, how, we don't even know how many veterans have died. But when you see an old man die, there's a good chance it was a World War II veteran, right? And thousands have died in veterans hospitals. It's way underreported. They are at very high risk. Vietnam veterans, Gulf War veterans that have Gulf War exposure, that have Agent Orange, they are highly vulnerable to COVID. So I really want to underscore that our veterans can also be part of the future. They can help us tackle this problem, but we have to recognize that they've already been devastated and they are extremely vulnerable and that has to be a focus for all Americans. So support IAVA, support all the other veterans organizations in your area. It's about meeting the need, but it's also about building leaders for the future because these are men and women who've been through some shit just like Montel has and they're going to help us you know, chart the path forward. 
Thanks so much, Paul, for being a part of the show today. You know, free thinking is what it's all about. We need to get more free thinkers like yourself. And look, if you want to team up in any way, shape, or form to push forth this agenda of getting the Democrats to recognize that all they have to do is say, we are ready to legalize cannabis nationally to win the election, I'm ready to help you do that any way you want to do it. Okay. And, you know, right now, I think we just need to make T-shirts that say Joe Biden will legalize weed. Even, you know, like it doesn't even have to be true. Frankly, that's what Trump has shown us. If you say it enough times, people want to talk about it, want to think about it. So if Joe Biden's not willing to make that case, we're going to make it for him. But I think the reality is that, that we, we need to get to work. That's just one issue. And I'm grateful for you. I got to tell you how grateful I am for your leadership, your perspective, your wisdom. I say all the time that I want to talk to folks to bring light to the heat. And I think you continue to bring light and valuable perspective and integrity. And that's what we need in times like this. So I'm grateful for your leadership and your friendship, man. And I've always got your back. Thank you so much, sir. You know, you always have a home here. And anytime you want me back on your podcast, I'm there. Thank you so much. And thank you all for tuning in and watching Free Thinking with Montel. And our guest today has been Mr. Paul Rykoff, who is really just a great American patriot, one who has spits the truth. And that's what we need so much right now is truth. Tune in to the next Free Thinker with Montel. Thank you.